selfish ambition. One man lives to reflect something greater. His mission is clear. If there is a need, take care of it. If there is stress, relieve If there is pain, kiss it and make it better. He is here to reflect his creator, to be an example to his children, and to lead with a humble and sacrificial heart. And he is taking it serious. I'm a dad. All right, dads, action heroes. Did you find yourself in there anywhere? You know, the I like the part about leading. All the dogs dragging him down the sidewalk, and you know, oh well. I'm a dad. There's things you do, right? That's right. Jeff, you do the tea party with your girls. <laughs> Jeff? <sighs> I never did either. But <laughs> I had hopes for you. <laughs> okay. All right. You can tell one of the reasons I didn't pass these out. I knew you'd all read ahead because there's comic strips involved. Just kind of pass around here and we'll see what. And I'd ask you now not to read ahead because I don't want you laughing at the wrong time during the lesson and it makes me feel bad. Okay, I take his away. That's fine. I, I understand. You need a few more? Here you go. You notice the title is Three Simple Thoughts for Dads and Others. Well, simple, simple thought. You know, it's Father's Day. Let's be simple. Let's just kind of back it off for dads, right? Simple thoughts, because I like simple. I really like simple. I like watching TV sitcoms, because they're simple. When you go all the way back to I Love Lucy, to Leave it to Beaver, up through Home Improvement, Everybody Loves Raymond, and even today's, you know, the middle and modern family. No matter what the issue is, in less than half an hour it's resolved and it's funny. I like simple. I like that stuff. In fact, just last night, I, after the Royals game, I sat and watched two or three episodes of I, Everybody Loves Raymond. And I'd seen them all at least half a dozen times, and I still laugh. I love them. I love simple. But there is one warning I want to give you. Simple does not always mean easy. Simple thoughts don't always translate into easy actions. So it's one of the things we want to talk about today. These are simple thoughts, but they take some effort. Now, it's Father's Day, and I know the, t- the title there says Three Simple Thoughts for Dads. But I want to include everybody in this. Just because it says dads, the principles and the things we're going to talk about, they apply equally to moms. These are not gender-specific in most cases. They'll apply to moms. They'll apply to grandparents. If you're working with grandkids, they'll apply to anyone who works with children. If you're involved in VBS, Awanas, the Sunday morning children's ministry, anything where you're working with children, these same principles apply. And for those of you like me whose children are grown and moved away, it still applies because they still watch you. 
I still watch my parents. I mean, I'm more to the age now where I watch them for funny stories, but, you know, you still watch your parents. So this, I want this to apply to everybody in every relationship. Can, now, the first cartoon here, and by the way, Calvin and Hobbes is my all-time favorite, and I did get permission to use these. It's kind of fun. It's, it's really easy to get. Tell them I'm not making money on it, and they go, okay. So, so don't pay me today, okay? Make a note. We're good. <laughs> but the first one, are you still, it's the husband and wife talking late at night, and the wife said, are you still awake? And the husband says, yeah, I was thinking. It's funny, when I was a kid, I thought grown-ups never worried about anything. I trusted my parents to take care of everything, and it never occurred to me that they might not know how. I figured that once you grew up, you automatically knew what to do in any scenario. I don't think I'd have been in such a hurry to reach adulthood if I'd known the whole thing was going to be ad-libbed. It's kind of, hey, I don't know, make it up as you go. But, and, and this is a story, some of you have heard this before, so I've used it, but when our kids were very little, and, you know, Vicki and I are obviously then young parents, I was going somewhere with my parents, and I don't remember where, but we were going to be in the car for a while, so I thought, hey, this is a good time just to talk. And so I thought, you know, okay, they raised me and my sister. They survived this whole thing. So, got, you know, they've got to have some kind of wisdom with them. So I, I, I just asked them. I don't remember exactly how I asked the question, but, you know, just about, you know, things come up. Kids ask questions or you have to make decisions about how to do this or that. Yeah, you know, as you were raising kids, how did you know what to do? And dad looks at mom and she looks at him and there's just horrible, awkward silence. And finally mom shrugs and dad says, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's the wisdom. <laughs> but it's ad-libbed a lot of times. I mean, it's what it says. Now, that's the parents' side. Now, from the kids' side, you have the next cartoon there where mom and dad relaxing on the couch, you know, a long, hard day behind them. And Calvin says, what assurance do I have that your parenting isn't screwing me up? <laughs> that's the kids' viewpoint of this whole ad-libbed thing, right? Well... Unfortunately, life, there are no guarantees. There's just no guarantees. But today I want to look at three simple thoughts that I hope will help. At least help you know you're on the right path, help encourage you to stick with it. Three simple thoughts. And oh, yes, by the way, there's no blanks to fill in. Another part of the simple mode, okay? Relax. Hey, I got applause on that. All right. Okay, the first thought be who you are. The first thought, be who you are. And the corollary to that is don't try to be who you are not. That's really the main point is don't try to be something you're not, but I wanted to say it in a positive way. So be who you are. And each of us is unique. We're all different. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, passage we're familiar with, a passage most of us have probably used at some point in time directed towards our kids. But I want us to look at it directed towards us because we're all a unique blend. We have our own personality, characteristics, strengths, weaknesses. We're all a master in some area or another, but very few of us are a master at very many things. It's just we're all a unique blend. In Psalm 139, let's read verses 14 through 16. 
Verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. David's writing to God and thanking him for how he made him. He said, you know, before I was even born, you planned me out. Verse 16, it says, the days were fashioned for me. God planned us the way we are, guys. Like it or not, <laughs> look at somebody else and go, well, I'd rather be like that. But be who you are. Be who you are because that's how God made you. Now, just some thoughts about that. Find your style. Find who you are. Find your style and the concept you have of success. This will vary. I mean, now there's some people, you go to their house, you know, the house is immaculate. It's beautiful, totally put together. You watch the guy, he's got a, got a project to do, whether it's paint a room or some landscaping, you know, boom, out there Saturday morning, it's done in three hours, everything cleaned up and put away where it belongs. Driving the latest model car, you ask, you know, what are you reading now? And they go, oh, it's such and such off the latest bestseller list. I mean, they got their act together, right? Well, then you go to another home. The house is clean. But it's lived in. You know, there's people here. It's lived in. That same project, yeah, I'll confess, I spend all day doing it, and then I put the cleanup off till next week because I'm exhausted. Uh, the car's holding together. You know, it may not be the latest, but it's, it's getting us there. We're getting by. My, my reading list when the kids were little, well, you know, Dr. Seuss. Aubrey got hooked on a boxcar children's series, series about kids who are detectives, you know, it's kind of... And so Kara, you know, fighting back against older sister, well, I'm going to have my own thing I make Dad read, but it's not going to be serious. So she found Hank the Cow Dog. <laughs> Honest to goodness, Hank the Cow Dog. First book was actually kind of funny. By the second one, the guy had lost all ideas, and it, it went downhill. But, you know, that's the reading list. <laughs> The reality is neither one of those styles is wrong. If it fits you, if that's you, if that's your style or if any mix of that is your style, be who you are because that's how God made you. Be the style you are. Also, be balanced. Be balanced. There are people who are naturally wall builders, I call them. They're wall builders. I'm going to build a wall around my kids. I'm going to isolate them from the world. I'm going to protect them from everything. Well, then you have guys that are rule setters. They have a list of rules for every possible situation. Uh, has anybody here ever seen the Major League Baseball rule book? I mean, it's this thick book, fine print, you know, subpoints under subpoints under subpoints. I mean, it covers everything. And that's what some people are like as parents. We got rules for everything. We're covering all the bases. So they're rule setters. Then you have parents that are more the do nothing style. Hey, give my kid freedom. He'll find himself. Let him be himself. You have all three of those. Well, the reality is all three of those have some truth in them. All three of them have a place where that's what you need to do. But there's not a one of them that can stand on its own. We need to be balanced. We need to be balanced. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Another word for instruction would be the counsel of the Lord. Well, so let's look at the counsel of the Lord. Does he ever tell us to be isolated? Yeah. He tells us to flee temptation. There's situations we're supposed to avoid. Does he give us rules? I mean, Bruce is in the middle of a series on the Ten Commandments. I suppose we have to say he gives us rules. <laughs> We've been listening, Bruce. Um, 
But does He give us freedom? Yes, He gives us freedom. There's many things where He doesn't give us specific ideas. I mean, in the... I've lost it now. I think it's First Corinthians, but Paul writes to the to them about meat that's been offered to idols. He said, and you know, the concept there's nothing wrong with that meat. That idol is a dead piece of wood or stone. It's not going to hurt that meat, so it's fine. But if it causes somebody else to stumble, you should avoid it. But he gives you freedom to make the choice, and we have that freedom in our lives. I mean, should I go to go to the movies? Well, it's your choice, depending on how it influences other people about how it's going to influence you on what you see. It's your choice. Um, the latest thing people have been talking about at work is you know all the restaurants that are located in casinos. There are people that love some of those restaurants, but other people assume they're gamblers. Well, they never they just go in, they eat, and they leave. But it's what people think of them. And so, but we have freedom. God doesn't give specific rules on everything. So we're to be balanced just like he's balanced. There are times to set up walls. There's time to set rules. And there's time to allow for times that we should allow freedom. So we need to be balanced within being who we are. I mean, we're each going to lean a little more one way than the other because that's who we are. Also, we need to realize that we're a teacher. You're a teacher. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want us to see something about being a teacher. Regardless of what our style is, regardless of who we are, if we're a parent or if we're working with children, we're to be a teacher. It's part of who we are. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, regardless of your style, you're to be a teacher. I mean, he covers things. You can teach them, or you can just talk about them, or you can write them down and wear them on your hand. You can write them on the doorpost. You know, whatever it takes, whatever style works best for you, we are, as parents, to be teachers. As fathers, we're to be teachers. And just a word here, Luke 640. This verse scared me. I almost didn't include it because of that. But it says, everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. We're teachers. Our kids are going to be like us. Scary thought. Scary thought. But it's in the Bible. So there it is. Truth. But we are teachers. So be who you are. Be your own style. But you have to teach your children. And what are we teaching them? Says the, Moses says, the words I command you today, today, and the words he commanded today are there in verse 5, where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's what we're to be teaching. So, we're to be teachers. Also, within being who you are, be their friend. Be your kid's friend, but be a true friend. And what I mean by that, Kara, uh, I don't know, somewhere... Early, when she's learning to read and do word puzzles, she's doing this simple little crossword puzzle and needed a four-letter word for pal. Well, we, I helped her work it out that it's chum. And she says, well, that's just a cool-sounding word. Can we be chums? Okay. And so I still call her chum today. It's just, it just kind of stuck. But even though we're chums, we weren't always chummy, if you know what I mean. We were chums. We were friends. But we weren't always on friendly terms. There's times that a true friend has to step in and tell somebody that they're doing something wrong. There's time a true friend 
as to be a friend and say, look, you need to improve in this area. You need to watch this. You need to guard against this. So we need to be our kid's friend, but we need to be a true friend, not just the chum. We need to be the true friend that speaks truth when they need it. So we need to be the friend. And another thought on this, a child's relationship with the opposite sex begins with their parents. You know, the first man first male that a daughter has a real relationship with is her dad. And the first female the son has a relationship is the mother. And how you react to them, it does a lot to shape their feelings towards the opposite sex. I mean, basically in their mind they're asking, am I worthwhile companionship? Does someone of the opposite sex just like being with me because I'm me? Because I'm who I am. Not because of what I'll do or because I'll give in to them and this or that. But do they like being with me because I'm me? So parents, we have a real responsibility in shaping our children's relationship with the opposite sex. So we need to be their friend, but we need to be a true friend. And the last thing here under be who you are, find your strength. Find your strength. In order to be who you are, you got to know who you are. you got to find your strength. Um, Medical doctor Helen DeRossi wrote, Put yourself wholeheartedly into something and your energy grows. It's almost inexhaustible. But on the other hand, if you're divided and conflicted about what you're doing, you create anxiety. And the amount of physical and emotional energy consumed by anxiety is exorbitant. The point is, your energy grows when you're doing something you like to do and you're good at. So we need to find our strength and focus on being what we're good at. Psychologist Howard Gardner said, we, sp- we need to spend less time focusing on the question, how smart am I? And last the question, how am I smart? You know, it's not how smart am I, you know, what's my IQ, what can I do? But how am I smart? In what way am I smart? What am I good at? And you look down through history, Albert Einstein is well known for being just not a very friendly, easy to get along with person. Didn't have a lot of personal skills. But in math and logic, and those kinds of things, he was a genius, and it led him to many scientific breakthroughs. Pablo Picasso, for what you may think of his art, was extremely poor in academic areas, but he had great recognition of spatial things and how to get his body to do what he's thinking, and became famous artist. By the way, if any of you own one of his paintings and would like to loan it to me long enough for me to sell it for what it's worth, I'm good. Sounded illegal, didn't it? Yeah. Back up and let's delete that off the tape. Okay. Uh, T.S. Eliot had no musical skills, was incredibly poor athletically, not really a good student in math, but very strong in linguistics and became a renowned poet. Used his strengths. Thomas Watson, Jr., not our local famous golfer Tom Watson, but Thomas Watson, Jr., the son of the founder of IBM, was a very poor student. Academically, he just barely made it through high school and college. But once he got out of college, he took flying lessons and quickly revealed he had a great strength in observing a situation and making a quick and accurate decision. He became a very experienced pilot in World War II, rose through the officer ranks, and after the war, this leadership experience, regardless of what he had done in school, that leadership experience gave him the confidence to take over IBM and move them from tabulators and adding machines into the computer age because of his ability to make make decisions, which he didn't learn in school, but he learned through experience. 
So we need to find our strengths, find what we're good at. As dads, as moms, as workers, we need to find what we're good at and develop that. So remember in Psalm 139, David said, The days were fashioned for me. God made us for a purpose. He made us the way we are for a reason. So we need to be who we are. We need to find who we are and be who we are and not try to be what we're not. First simple thought. Most of you still look awake. I'll move on to the second simple thought. Here we go. Second thought. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Focus on the short term. Focus on what's going on now. Keep your eye on the ball. Uh, inventor Thomas Edison was once asked what the first requisite was for success. And he said, the ability to apply your physical and mental energies to one problem incessantly without growing weary. Focus. He said, you got to focus. Executive recruiter John Bassler says, success is 10% luck, 20% intelligence and talent, and 70% paying attention to the task at hand. Again, focus. We need to focus. Keep our eye on the ball. I don't know. I watch too much baseball. I'll admit it, but I love it. And I'll even watch the Royals because that's what's on mostly around here if you're watching baseball. But have you ever watched when they do the replays after Billy Butler gets a big hit and they kind of zoom in on him? They show the slow motion replay, and the closer the ball gets to home plate, the bigger his eyes get. By the time he hits that ball, those eyes are huge. He is so focused in on the ball, his eyes are all you can see. It's just, it's amazing the focus that he has. But that's what we need to do keep our eye on the ball. When we're raising children, we need to keep our eye on the ball and focus on the short term. First thing we need to do is listen. Listen and listen. Chris has just completed a 12-week series on listening. I hope I don't need to tell you much about listening. But what I do want to focus on is we can apply what he taught us about listening to God's Word and about listening when it's presented to listening to other people. We can apply that in relationships and be intent on how to do that. Anybody here ever hear the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie? Yeah. There's a chapter in it called Six Ways to Make People Like You. And number four is be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Be a good listener is how you win friends. So it's, we need to listen. We need to learn how to listen. Listening does some things for us as parents. It helps us be attentive to our children's needs. Now, I know, questions come and they repeat and they're just one after the other. There's times it gets annoying. But if you really listen to what's being asked, it gives you some insights to what's going on in their head, what their thoughts are, what makes them afraid, what makes them curious, what makes them confused, what, you know, what, what are they interested in learning about, you know, what direction will they be growing. So we need to listen for that. We also need to listen for deeper needs. You know, do they have a need for attention? Do they have a need just for companionship, somebody to hang out with? Do they have a need for guidance? And part of listening is also learning their talkative moments. Learn Each child is different. Aubrey, if I'd sit down and play a game with her, somewhere during the course of that game, it, whatever was bothering her came out. She would talk. That was her moment. She loved playing games, and that's when it came out. Kara, you had to get her in the car and get away from everybody, driving somewhere, whatever, and then she would open up. You have to learn when their talkative moments are. Now, and I think every kid is talkative at bedtime because, hey, the more I talk, the later, yeah, I get to stay up later, right? So, I mean, that's, that's a time. But each one will also have a time that's more productive when they're not as tired, but when they'll be talkative. So we need to learn their talkative moments so we can 
and listen and focus in on what we need to find out. Another thought under keeping your eye on the ball is be involved. Be involved in their lives. Get to know their friends. Get to know the parents of their friends, the kind of homes they're coming from, the kind of influence your child is around. Get to know their teachers, their coaches, all of that. It takes time. It takes involvement. It takes being involved in parent activities at school and parent organizations that grow up around everything the kid's in because that's how you raise the money for the stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it, it happens. But being involved, you get to know the people that are influencing your children. And that's huge in learning how your child is, is growing. Open up your house. You'll be involved by opening your house. And I'm not saying you got to be the party king and know how to plan it. Hey, I... If anybody knows me, they know I'm far from a party king. Yeah, I barely like attending parties, let alone throwing them, okay? But we'd open our house up and we'd say, hey, bring the kids in here because if they're at my house, I know what's going on, I know who they're around, you know, all that good stuff. But we would open our house just to be available. Kara was in a, uh, a singing group in October. Octet, I think. I think there's eight of them. But as they're working towards, you know, recitals or you know, contests and all that, we'd open our house for them to come over and practice together. And it was it was kind of fun to watch them because they got comfortable enough that a couple of the guys would just drift off in the kitchen and start eating. I mean, they'd take chicken nuggets out of the freezer and cook them. Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing how comfortable they got. But it was nice because we knew them. We got to know them. So be involved. Just open up. And this may make changes in your schedule. You know, to be available, to be involved, you may have to change something in your schedule. Douglas Grant rose to the position of president and chief operating officer of a division of industrial giant Teledyne. But its well-known story documented throughout his career from his low-level positions on up. While he had children at home, he would come to work early in the morning so he could leave at 3 in the afternoon to attend their games, their recitals, whatever it was they had going on. He spent time with them. No matter how advanced his career got, he'd leave at 3. I mean, there, there are stories of him walking out in the middle of meetings, meetings that he was in charge of. Because it's time to go. My kid's got a ball game. But he didn't let a successful career keep him from his family. He had a focus. He had a focus on what was important in his life. And he was involved. So we need to be involved, even if it means changing our schedule. Um, Coming back to teaching. Teach was in the first point. Teach is in this thought. We need to teach at all times and all levels. If we're keeping our eye on the ball... So we know what's going on in their life right now. That's how we know what they need taught, how we know what to teach. And again, in Deuteronomy, in verse 7, he says you'll teach them diligently. These principles, you'll teach them diligently. Teaching, there it means structured leading. I'm sorry, structured learning. Structured, you know, like schoolwork, but we're not talking schoolwork here. We're talking teaching them about the love of God, teaching them about the influence of God in your life. And you can even apply this, you know, teaching them in structured way about household chores and yard work and manners. Do manners exist anymore? I sometimes wonder. But we need to teach these things to our children. We need to teach them in a structured way so that they learn. But verse 7 also goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. That covers all the time. I mean, Bedtime, getting up in the morning, when you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're whatever. He says you'll talk of them. Our kids need to hear us talk the talk as we walk the walk. 
If we believe that God loves us, when we believe His influence is real in our life, and that's how we're living our life, they, we, we can't just expect them to see that and comprehend it. We need to talk about it. They need to hear it from us. They need to hear our experiences and how God's helping us. We need to talk. And part of that talk, we just need to be an encourager to them. We need to be an encourager. We need to lovingly encourage them that whatever's going on in their life right now, God can use it in a positive way towards developing who He wants them to be. And now that being an encourager is like a step beyond teaching, actually. Teaching, okay, I know something, I'm going to impart that to you and help you learn it. Encouraging, you can encourage people that are doing things you have no clue about. I mean, Aubrey decided to be an architect. Okay, I, I have some math strength. I took a little engineering stuff in, in college. You know, I, I kind of have some little, but I got no clue what she's doing most of the time. But I can encourage her. As she was going through college, I could look at what she was doing. I could listen to her talk and ask a semi-intelligent question now and then. I could encourage her. Uh, Kara got into classical piano and cello and who knows why. She took a class in British literature one time. British literature. I listened to her read night after night from Shakespeare because by the time she would get to that, she would say, you know, I'm so tired, Dad. If I, if I just sit and read, I'm going to fall asleep. So will you listen to me? I'll go, okay. So she'd read out loud and I would sleep. And it, it worked out. <laughs> but I couldn't help her with that class other than just listen. I couldn't help her with classical piano other than just listen and be an encourager as I saw her progress. So we need to talk the talk, but part of that, we just need to encourage them to be who they are the way we're being who we are. So we need to teach them at all times and at all levels as they grow. And then we need to practice the three A's. The three A's, acceptance, affirmation, and affection. We need to practice that in our lives. First of all, acceptance. Acceptance is recognizing what they do. Just acknowledging what they're good at, what they do. So let's turn to Mark chapter 10 and look at the example of Jesus here as he accepted children. Mark chapter 10. It was here yesterday. Let's see. Yes, Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. We see the example of Jesus. In verse 13 it says, Then they brought young children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to the disciples, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. And he took Took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. So, we see, and we've heard this before. Jesus took time for the children. Now, let's look at this in the context of what was going on. In this same chapter, verses one through twelve, Jesus is teaching on marriage, divorce, and adultery. I mean, heavy stuff, stuff that you know little kids don't need to be exposed to. Maybe the depth of his teaching. This is what's going on at the moment that kids do what kids do. They show up when they when you really don't. Want want them to. And so the disciples are doing what we would normally do. They're saying, hey kids, this isn't your time. This isn't your time. He's into a deep adult discussion. And they tried to shoo him away. But Jesus said, you know, I don't care what I'm teaching. Let them come. I'll take time for the kids. I accept who they are. I accept what they're doing. And so his example shows that we're to be accepting of children. 
even in this context. And so as a parent, we need to understand that failure to show proper balanced acceptance will result in one of two things in our kids. If we don't properly show acceptance to them, they'll either withdraw and just say, okay, you know, it's not worth making an effort at developing those abilities. Nobody cares. Or they'll go the other extreme and they'll have an insatiable appetite to overachieve in a hope of finding attention then if they're just super good and overachieving. They'll go to one extreme or the other if we don't properly accept them. Now, and there may be some that, hey, in this area, you really should give up. <laughs> and there may be others that, hey, in this area, you probably are good enough to be one of the best. And you need to find that. But Overall, if we show them proper balanced acceptance of each area of their life, they'll find their strength. They'll find their strength. But we need to show that. Because as we show that, they'll begin to balance their use of their strengths in developing what God's made them to be. And they'll even develop a desire to improve areas of weakness. You know, just saying find who you are and go with your strengths, there's still a good idea to kind of bring the weaknesses along a little bit. You know, it's just a nice idea to, to know how to say hi to people, regardless of what your strengths are. But children will find that if we're, if we're encouraging them and accepting them for what they do and what they're good at and acknowledging that. And remember, they're not you. They're not necessarily going to be good at what you're good at. And they may be very good at something that you don't really like because you're not good at it. They're not you. We need to accept them and what they do. But also the second of the three A's is affirmation, and that's recognizing who they are. This is not recognizing what they do in detail, but this is recognizing who they are, what kind of a person they are. And again, they're not you. They're not you. In fact, we are quite certain that Kara may not be either one of ours. But we affirm who she is <laughs> and accept what she is. But, but we need to learn to affirm them. And we... Part of affirmation is following each phase of their life. It's good for them to hear affirmation about their past, about you know the story of when they were born, if there's a funny story around it, or just let them know how excited you were the day they were born, when they came into your life, for the first time they did such and such, or first time they said something, you know, that was you know, you could actually make it out, hey, that's a word. You know, I mean, they need to know that that was exciting to you. You also need to affirm the present, how proud you are of just what they're becoming, what's going on in their life right now. You see growth. And we also need to affirm their future. Let them know that nothing can change how important they are to you. Regardless of what happens, regardless of how much you may disapprove of a certain action, nothing will change how important they are to you. That affirmation. And affirmation... Okay, acceptance, they can earn in a lot of ways by performance. I mean, we need to be balanced, but they can earn that to an extent. Affirmation is unearned. It's unearned. We just affirm who they are. An example of that is Romans 8, 38 and 39, for God affirms his love for us. Paul writes there in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what comes, I mean, I don't, you can name anything, and it's in that list. It's covered by that list. He says, no matter what comes, God loves me. That is an example of something that's unearned, unconditional. 
God affirms his love for us. And we're to affirm our acceptance of our kids. We're to affirm them that nothing will change your importance. And then affection. The third A is affection. Recognize how to show love. This is easier to teach on Mother's Day because moms are, they're all gooey, gooey, lovey, lovey, you know. (laughs) Dads, we're kind of, I'm a dad. It's what I do, you know. We're dads. But we need to recognize how to show love. Now, when, when kids are a little, you know, young, that's a lot easier to do because you can, you know, you can hug them, give them kisses, you know, kiss the little boo-boos on their elbows, you know, whatever. You can do a lot of things there. But as they get into adolescence or even pre-adolescence, things change. You know, they, go, they actually go through a phase where they make you believe they don't like you. <laughs> I, you know, never, never figured that one out. You know, what's not to like about me, right? But... But still, affection in that phase shows our acceptance. And it shows our affirmation of how important they are to us. Affection is a vital way to show the other two A's. And so we have to find a way to do it. Use a a method that fits who you are and fits who they are. Keeping in mind that they are not you and that they are changing as they grow. Well, we need to find a way. You know, maybe it's just a special word, or, a, or you know, just a hand gesture, or a physical touch. There was when Carol was playing tennis in high school. You know, you go to the matches and you get to know some of the other parents. And there's this one lady that would sit there, and when her daughter was playing, or once while you just see her, it, it was like she went into a fit. You know, or the hands, and you know, you get farther into the season, you get to know her a little bit. And so I finally worked up the nerve to ask her what she was doing, and she said, "Well." My daughter doesn't want to hear my voice when she's playing. I identified with that. And she said, but she wants to know, she needs to know that I love her. So whenever she looks up here, oh, I'm I'm waving, I'm, I'm making a motion. So I started watching. And the daughter, you know, however the match was going, you know, she'd look up there and I'd see her mom go into this fit. The daughter would smile and just refocus on the game. It was like they had their language. They knew what that meant. And I spoiled it by asking, but, you know, they found out. But we need to be sensitive to their needs. The TV show Home Improvement, I don't know how many of you watched that very much when it was on, but Tim, the father, they would always tell his kids he loved them. Well, as they got older, uh, Brad, the oldest, one day... Tim took him to some school function, and as they showed later in the show, Tim gave him a big, big manly hug when he left. Well, the, you know, Brad was all distraught. He said, the rest of the day, the guys made fun of me. They laughed, Dad, don't ever touch me again. And so Tim found another way to express his love. They live in Detroit. The NFL team is the Lions. And so Tim just said, okay, son, every time I say, hey, Brad, how about those Lions? That's me saying I love you. And so, you know, the show went on. Tim, towards the end, something kind of stressful happened. And Tim looked at him, hey, how about those lions? Oh, yeah, Dad, I love you too. You know, they, they found a language. But you've got to find that. You can't avoid showing affection just because they grow older. You have to find your language. So show affection. So acceptance, affirmation, and, accept, and affection, the three A's. And let me just reemphasize, keep your eye on the ball because you don't want to miss a good pitch. I mean, when you're at bat in a ball game, you want to keep your eye on the ball because if it's a good pitch, you don't want to let it go by. There may not be another good one. Don't miss a good opportunity, all right? If you go to an investment counselor, there's a couple pieces of advice they're going to give you. 
One of those is big returns never happen in the future unless sizable investments are made in the present. And the other one is if an investment opportunity is passed up, the potential gains can never be recovered. Well, dads, moms, all of us, that's true in our kids' lives. Having a great future relationship, that great future return with our kids, it's not going to happen if we don't invest. If we don't keep our eye on the ball right now and invest, that future return will never come. And if an opportunity is missed, hey, I'm tired today. Let's just let that slide by or, you know, whatever. If we miss it, it's not coming back. There may be other opportunities, but that opportunity will be gone. So that investment advice is good advice for us also as we keep our eye on the ball. Now, the third thought, keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal. This is the long term. Prioritize for the long term. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. While you're turning there, Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Children are a heritage. means an inheritance or a legacy or a gift. Children are a gift from God. In Matthew 13, verse 45 and 46, Jesus gives a parable here. And he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. Now the direct application of this is to the kingdom of God. But look at the, look at the priority given. He said, When that merchant found a pearl of great price, that's all he wanted. He sold everything and bought that pearl. That pearl of great price. Well, to us, we've got to look at our children that way. They're a gift from God. They're that pearl of great price. He's entrusted us to, entrusted to us. He's entrusted them to us. We need to make them a priority. Above all else, they need to be our priority. But if we're going to keep our eye on the goal, we've got to ask, what is the goal? What is the goal? Well, there were three workmen on the same work site. Oh, good, pin works. And a, a passerby asked one of them, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And sure enough, that's what he was doing. He was just, you know, one brick on top of the other with a nice mortar there. And then he asked the second guy, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, and by the way, all three of these guys were doing the exact same physical task. And the second guy said, well, I, I'm building a wall. And he asked the third guy, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm building a great cathedral. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm not the architect, okay? But all three were doing the same thing. One guy focused on, I'm doing, I'm laying bricks. This is my task. The other guy looked at, well, you know, I'm, I'm building a wall. By the end of today, we should have a wall here. The third guy had the total goal in mind. He said, I'm building a cathedral. He'd, he saw the whole picture. Well, fathers, for us, what that applies to is somebody asks what you're doing. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making a living. I'm going to work every day, I'm laying a brick, I'm bringing the paycheck home, it's supporting the family, I'm making a living. But the second answer would be us saying, hey, I'm raising children. I've got this idea that, you know, if I, if I keep doing this every day, I'm going to raise a child. You know, I'm going to raise somebody. But the third one sees the total picture. He says, I'm shaping a life that will influence others. He said, I'm not just laying these bricks to be laying them. You know, I'm not just making this wage. I'm not just raising a kid. I'm shaping a life so that it can influence others. That's the big picture. We need to have that as our priority. 
and we need to, to push towards finding what the concept of success is for that child. We need to find what that cathedral is, because it'll be different for each kid. The total goal, the total picture of their life will be different for each one, because they're all different, just like we're all different. And so we need to focus in on that and focus on what our real goal is. We need to develop an understanding of good, better, and best. You know, not, not everything is black and white. You know, hey, that's, that's bad, that's good. Within the realm of good, there are things that are better, and there's things that are actually best for us to be doing. President Theodore Roosevelt said, the enemy of the best is usually the good. You know, the, the enemy of us accomplishing the best that we can usually isn't us doing something that's just horribly wrong. It's because we get to the good level and kind of, kind of settle. And we don't keep pushing towards what's best. And we need to push for what's best. Because it's possible, it is possible, to have too much of a good thing. Because if everything we have is good and we settle there and it keeps us from moving on to what's best, we have too much of a good thing. And we've got to remember, Psalm 127 says children are a gift from God. It doesn't say your job is a gift from God, although I believe it is. It doesn't say this church is a gift from God, although I believe it is. It doesn't say your clubs you belong to or anything else. Children. Children are that pearl of great price that we're to focus on. All these other things should supplement our lives and be a part of our life towards that goal. So we need to understand how to reach for the best and not settle for the good in our lives. We also need to be accountable to others and be submissive to God. We need to be accountable to others because in our life there will be things that we overlook. You know, that, that temporary burst of extra hours to reach a certain project goal at work suddenly becomes habit and we just keep working those hours and avoiding family time. We need somebody in our life we can be accountable to that will point that out. But we also need to be submissive to God. We cannot rightly shape our children unless God shapes us. So we need to be aware of that. We also need to be aware that part of the ultimate goal is letting go. And letting go is a process. We need to start early. Start early with letting go. Um, in Luke 2.19 and 2.51, it talks about Mary when Jesus was first born and then when he was 12. Events happening in his life, and it says Mary kept these things in her, in her heart and pondered them. Mary began the process of letting go because she said, hey, you know, this is exciting with him being born, but I know what the truth is. The angels are saying he's the son of God. I'm going to have to let go. She started that process, and we need to start early. Because letting go is a process, it's not an event. It's not that thing of, oh, hey, you're 18, bye. No, it's, it's letting them walk to kindergarten on their own. Because someday, you know, you, you're not going to take the jump from them being totally home and secure to driving off to college in one step. This has to be a process. You've got to work through it. And letting go is mandatory for your child's maturity. If they're going to become a, an adult with true stand-on-their-own maturity, that's not going to come without them trying and failing and learning how to make decisions. It's a, it's a process that's mandatory. Letting go also does not mean closing your eyes. It doesn't mean avoiding a situation and hoping it goes away. It means working through it with your child and learning to let go in that situation. It also does not mean closing your heart. Just because they leave doesn't mean you've closed them off. Just because they make a decision you don't like doesn't mean you've closed them off from your love. You can lovingly tell them how you feel about what they're doing, but they got to know you still love them. 
that affirmation, that affection has to still be there. And the last thing under keep your eye on the goal is persevere. Persevere. Stay the course. Hang in there. Don't give up. However you want to word it. Persevere. Keep your eye on the goal. The next cartoon there shows uh, Calvin coming to his dad saying, Hey, Dad, I'm inventing a robot. Can you get me a patent? And the dad says, you invented a robot? Well, here it is so far. Hobbs and I have been working on it all afternoon. It's not quite perfected yet, but you can get the idea. Dad asks, well, what does it do? Calvin said, that's the problem. We haven't figured out how to make it do what we want. Dad says, don't get discouraged. Your mom and I got the same results after working on you for six years. It's the result of trying to get you to do what we want you to do. Persevere. Don't give up. Stay with it. So now the, cl- the conclusion, this is why we're here, dads. Speaking back to dads, you know, the video, I'm a dad, it's what I do. This is why we're here. In Genesis, God said this to Adam and Eve, and he re- repeated it again to Noah after the flood. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. And I want to make a strong note here to those of you without children. You can multiply. You can multiply through mentoring children, through discipling children, through discipling others. You can be involved in lives, preparing them to influence others. You can multiply. This goes for you too. In conclusion, a couple last cartoons here. I love cartoons. It's my day because it's Father's Day and Chris is gone. So, But don't be discouraged. You don't want to give up and let them win. The next cartoon has Calvin and Hobbes looking at ants. He says, look at these ants. They're all running like mad, working tirelessly all day, never stopping, never resting. And for what? To build a tiny little hill of sand that could be wiped out at any moment. All their work could be for nothing, and yet they keep on building. They never give up. Hobbes says, I suppose there's a lesson in that. Calvin says, yeah, ants are morons. Let's see what's on TV. (laughs) As a parent, we're working hard. You're investing all you have. You're running like mad to keep up. And you realize that child may not turn out the way you want. It it could all be for naught. And you also realize the child thinks you're a moron. But, you know, hang in there. (laughs) Persevere. Don't get discouraged. And keep a sense of humor. The last one. Calvin comes to his dad and he says, You say when you become a father, you get a book that explains everything in the world. Right. Can I see it? Nope. Sorry. Why not? The dad said it tells what it's like to raise a kid. So, you're not allowed to know that until it's too late not to have one. (laughs) That, you got to keep a sense of humor, folks. (laughs) Kids will run you down if you don't. So, I... Simple thoughts. Not always easy actions, but simple thoughts. Be who you are, keep your eye on the ball, and keep your eye on the goal. Hope this has encouraged you today as parents and as workers. Father, we thank you for the time together today. And we do thank you for these who are here. And just pray that you bless their lives. And I pray that you take us now to the worship service focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 